Hey, my name is Jay Warner Wallace, and I'm the author of Cold Case Christianity. I, I gotta tell you, if you're listening to this radio, you know you're in a good place, and I cannot endorse more highly the intellect and the passion of your host. So just enjoy this radio program. Is he a real one? Radio is the real thing. And Veda, thank you so much for doing the most important work of the kingdom. Hey, this is Greg Kokel, author of Tactics, a Game Plan for Discussing Your Christian Convictions and the story of reality, how the world began, how it ends, and everything important that happens in between. And you're listening to, is he a real one? Hello, everybody. How are you doing on today? I am your host, Mr. Veda Hedgeman of Is He A Ruin Radio. And I just want to thank you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for joining with us today. Now, as you may have seen as advertised, we have a very special guest on today. And my man, my brother, uh, Brother Sam Alberry. he is an awesome man of God with an excellent fascinating and encouraging and comforting testimony. And he'll talk to us a little bit about that. Uh, before we get more into that, though, I just want to welcome you. If you are watching on YouTube, I want to wave at you. You know, uh, if you're listening on iHeartRadio, we want to thank you so much for tuning in. If you're listening on Spotify, tune in or the iTunes app. We want to thank you so much for tuning in in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And uh like I said, we are having a conversation today with Sam Albury. All right. Sam Albury is a pastor. He is a regular conference speaker. He is a global speaker for Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. And we certainly send our condolences to all those to his family, to Ravi's friends, family and everyone impacted, you know, by our loss. But he has been such a blessing, you know, to so many of us, myself included. Uh, uh, Sam is also an editor for the Gospel Coalition. You may have uh, you may recall that we interviewed another person associated with the Gospel Coalition not too long ago in the BD and Yipwele. And, you know, Sam is also, uh, he's a visiting professor at Cedarville University. See, I got to read this part because this was too much. His bio is, is awesome. Praise the Lord. You know, he's a visiting professor at Cedarville University. But here's the part I want to make sure y'all get. Um, he is the author of a number of books, including Is God Anti-Gay? Why Bother with Church? And Seven Myths About Singleness. And Seven Myths About Singleness. Now, in this dialogue that we're going to have with Chris, uh, I'm sorry, with Chris, um, with Sam, we are going to talk a little bit about each of those. We are going to talk about sexuality. We are going to talk Bible and we are going to talk about singleness. And as I bring my man Sam on screen so that you all can see his wonderful face, go ahead and wave to the people, Sam. How you doing? Hey, thank you so much for having me. It's really lovely to be with you. Oh, man, I, I, I'm grateful and honored that you joined us. You know, when I accidentally um, said Chris is because while I was given the um, when I was reading off your bio, you know, I was thinking how I just interviewed Chris Yuan, you know, um, so oh, <laughs> yeah. if, if you yeah. mistake me for him in any way, <laughs> he may be offended, but uh, he's, he's a great friend. Yeah, but, you know, and, 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 you know, and prayerfully, you know, this this uh, interview can kind of be like a, you know, a part two to the interview that I've already had with him, because, you know, in our dialogue, we did talk about sexuality. You know, we did talk about same sex attractions. We did talk a little bit about singleness, but we we talked a lot about, you know, the revisionist arguments, you know, mm -hmm. when people who say heresies, you know, to support um, acting on a certain lifestyle and acting on certain attractions, you know, and we'll see how the Holy Spirit leads. But I'm thinking as an addition to that, you know, our conversation, Sam, can be, you know, a bit more, you know, ministerial and personable and almost pastoral, you know, uh, but we'll see how the Holy Spirit flows. Is there anything that you'd like to say as far as introducing yourself before we get started? No, I'm, I'm just so thankful to be with you. Really uh, glad to be here. Amen. Amen. So let's let's start a little bit about your testimony. Can you share us mm -hmm. a little bit of your testimony before we get to, you know, when you started going to school and started really studying the Bible and everything? Can we learn a little bit about you? And as it pertains to this topic of sexuality and biblical sexuality. Yeah. So I, I became a Christian the same week I turned 18. Um, 
hadn't really had any prior deep exposure to the gospel or to the Christian faith um, before that, but I had a couple of good friends who were Christian believers. They invited me to their church's youth ministry uh, one weekend, and I couldn't think of an excuse not to go, so I, I went. And I just remember hearing a presentation of the gospel, and it became very clear immediately to me that what I had imagined Christianity being about was different to what I was hearing. Um, I'd always imagined Christianity was about God congratulating good people. Um, what I started to hear was that actually Christianity is about God coming to this world to, to forgive and to fix broken people. And that's such a different message. And something inside of me recognized that if there was a God out there who made me, then I didn't know him and that that was on me rather than being on him. Mm. And therefore, in as much as the category of lost meant anything to me at that stage, I recognized I needed to come back to God. I needed to be found by him. So actually, the first time I heard the gospel, I believed it. And it was only, a, I think, a few weeks after that that I remember consciously giving my life to Christ for the first time and thinking, if if he's done those things for me, if he's died for me, if he's risen again from for me, then I have to give him everything. That can't just be a sideshow on the edge of life. That that's got to be all or nothing. And I, I just right. remember having this very deep conviction that I can trust him with my life. He will do a better job of running my life than I will. Hmm. So I just had an overwhelming sense of his goodness and of how he was of how he would be for me and not against me. So, mm. so that's how I came to faith. And that was also significant because the backdrop to that was during my, my kind of later teenage years, I was beginning to realize that I was attracted to men and not attracted to women. Um, mm -hmm. Had just begun to recognize that. Um, was just beginning to figure out what to do with that and was was planning to start acting on that when I came to faith. And so I'm I'm grateful to the Lord for his timing because it, it meant I hadn't yet had an opportunity to get involved with all kinds of stuff that I would now grieve as a believer. So God was very, very kind to me, not just in saving me, but in saving me at that particular point in my life. Mm. Wow. So can you can you tell us a little bit about being attracted to to men opposed to women and you being a believer uh, of Jesus Christ and how you reconciled those attractions, how you reconciled acting on those, if at all, and just that entire yeah. just, just just that entire uh, sequence. Like, can, can you let us in on that a little bit? I can. So I came to faith in Christ. Um, I didn't at that stage know most of what he taught about anything, including sexual ethics. But I did know I could trust him. And so okay. as I started to explore what following Jesus would mean for this particular aspect of life, I had a sense that whatever Jesus said was going to be OK because it was Jesus. Mm. Um, and that I would be able to, you know, whatever he said would, would be for my good. And so over the coming months, I began to kind of piece together the kind of sexual ethic we see presented in Scripture. Um, I primarily started with the Gospels. I could see that Jesus um, taught that sex outside the covenant of marriage was, was sinful, that even looking with someone lustfully, uh, that that was sinful. And I also saw that he made it very clear that marriage was between a man and a woman. So. It didn't take me long to realize that uh, there was going to be no godly way for me to fulfill the sexual desires I was experiencing. Um, and so that the choice I had really was, well, do I quit Jesus and pursue my own romantic desires? Mm. Or do I follow Jesus and submit those desires to him and... Even as a very new believer, I, I recognized I couldn't do both with integrity. 
Um, I couldn't bend Jesus to accommodate my sexual desires. That just was very apparent to me. So again, I had to I had to think, well, is is Jesus trustworthy enough that he's worth saying no to these desires? Mm. Um, and I felt, yeah, I, I I was so convinced by his death and resurrection that it would be foolish to choose anything over Jesus. So even in those early days of, of Christian discipleship, I, I had a, a conviction that that Jesus was good. He wasn't just true, he was also good. And that I wasn't going to get more life apart from him, and I wasn't going to end up with a shriveled form of life if I followed him. So that was obviously costly. Um, I was aware of that at the time. I've been aware of that since then. It's... Um, it's it's costly to say no to those kinds of desires and and yearnings but then i was also very aware that jesus calls all of us to deny self and take up our crosses and therefore i wasn't nothing was being asked of me that wasn't being asked of every believer in some way so mm. it didn't feel unfair or anything like that um now this was all um over 25 years ago it's a very different world it's a very different culture then there was much less cultural pressure then than there is now to celebrate those feelings and to, to identify by them. So, again, I'm 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 grateful in the Lord's timing that that I came to faith when I did. Wow! It's in listening to you, Sam. It sounds like the 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 overall highlighted thing is at the end of the day, you put your trust in Jesus. That's that's what it sounds like. You know, and the reason why that's important is because I love what you said, it's not just that he's true, it's that he's also good. He does know what's best for you and I. You know, so I I find that really interesting and one of the things that, you know, that I've been observing is that I think it might be easier to come to terms with the things that you're saying. Doesn't mean it'll be easy to act on it the way that you want to every single day. You know, we're still human. We still have temptations. We still have that daily fight, you know, but to even have the mindset to go, this is what I want. I want to pick up this cross daily and, and, and pursue Jesus to even begin to have that mindset to start. You know, it sounds like we have to have our, our um, understanding that our identity shouldn't be. And this is something that we talked about um, with Dr. Yuan as well. And I think I've heard you say this in the past also, that we shouldn't put our identity in what our uh, sexual preference or our sexual attractions are. Our identity should be in Christ. And in this particular conversation, we may be discussing sexuality, but you know, I could be talking about, you know, music. I love music, but that shouldn't be my identity. Right. Mm. You know, because then if something happens to music, then it's like, what am I? Where am I? So, I mean, how, how would you res respond to that? Or I would wholeheartedly agree with all of that. And as, as culture has shifted and made sexuality so much more of a kind of an identity marker, something that is is fundamentally defining of you. I've always had a very deep sense that that's that is profoundly unhelpful and wrong um, for the reasons you just said, you know, we are who we are in Christ. Um, and it's it's part of our fallen nature, every single one of us, to, to locate our significance in the wrong place. Um, mm. All of us do that in some way. Like you said, it could be music, it could be in family, it could be in career. Um, so this isn't unique to this issue, but it is, I think, where our culture is makes it there's a unique cultural pressure when it comes to sexual identity i think uh, we've invested so much significance in that as a category um so you know younger teenagers today who are aware of um their, their sexuality will be far more pressured than i was to make that the most significant aspect of who they are and mm. it's just it's just not true it's so arbitrary to decide that that desire above all any other desires is what most tells me who i am and 
it, it just raises the stakes dangerously high. If if I am defined by my sexuality, then my whole sense of worth and meaning and fulfillment is going to be contingent on fulfilling my sexual desires. And so mm. it just puts so much pressure on. Um, and it's, you know, I think this is an area where I think Western culture has, it has blood on its hands. Um, mm. we, we keep hearing about the high rates of, of mental health and suicide among young people in the LGBT world. Well, I'm not, you know, in one sense, it's, it's not the church that is making sexual identity the be all and end all of life. We never have. That's never been our message. But it is our culture's message. And it, it ends up saying to people that a life without sexual fulfillment isn't really worth living. So it's not just mistaken to to locate your identity and your sexuality. It's actually dangerous too, because it makes that area your key determiner of whether your life is actually going well or not. And it's just too unstable an area to, to invest that level of significance in. Does that make sense? Oh, it, it absolutely does. And I totally want to get to sexual fulfillment. I've, I've heard you speak on that and I've read you write on that before. So I certainly want to um, highlight on that before we're done here. But before we do that, though, I mean, what would you say to me if I came to you and I said, hey, you know, Sam, you know, I've read your work. I've heard you speak. It's awesome. But at the end of the day, you know, um, you know, I, I, I didn't choose my sexual desires. I am a male and I am attracted to males or I am a female and I'm attracted to to other females. I did not choose these sexual desires. So did God make me uh, same sex attracted and now I have to deny it? How, how would you respond you know, to someone coming to you asking a question like that? Yeah, it's, it's a very good question. And, you know, most of us don't choose our sexual desires. That That is that is just an observation. We, I, I didn't decide to find you know, men attractive and not find women attractive. It would have been actually much easier for me if I found women attractive. It was something I could just decide. I would have decided differently. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So, but that, that doesn't, that is not to say that it, God has made us this way. Um, you know, that the, the Christian account of, of who we are shows us that, all of us are fallen, all of us are broken, all of us are distorted, and that is no less true of our sexuality than any other area of life, and it applies to all of us. Um, so all of us have got sexual desires that have been disordered by our sinful nature. Mm. And we we can't pin that on God. It, it may feel natural to me to be attracted to men and not attracted to women. That does not mean that's how God has created me. Um, if I if I gave you a parallel example, um, when, when I drive, I am naturally very irritable. Hmm. Uh, I don't think I'm alone in that. <laughs> um, <laughs> what I can't do is say, well, God has made me irritable. God has created me irritable, and therefore you have to accept and affirm my irritability. Um it's just not the way it works. We, we, we are all of us born with certain inclinations, certain dispositions that are not right. Um, the fact that they seem so innate to us does not make them morally good. Um, and I, th I think, you know, we see this most clearly in Scripture when, when Jesus says you must be born again to see the kingdom of God. Um, we didn't come out right the first time. Um, and so we need to be born again now from above, precisely because we we have been born with a sinful nature. So w what if I push back on that, you know, and I said, OK, I hear you. But being irritable in that analogy that you use might be hurtful, might be rude. I'm same sex attracted. Uh, I'm not hurting anybody. I'm looking for a spouse of the same sex that I can love and cherish and do good things with yep and, and i you know if i'm having this conversation with someone i, I would be I, I i'd want to thank them for, for being so honest with me and for sharing of their own kind of personal situation with me um but i would say that 
actually, well, the first thing to say is that this is not unique to people who are attracted to the same sex. Um, mm -hmm. This idea that we are distorted, that we're skewed in our desires and in our sexual desires is true of everyone. Um, and so on this issue, the teaching of Jesus really does level the playing field. Um, so it is as true of, you know, the most heterosexual person you've ever met as it is true of someone like me. Um, mm. So no, no one should be feeling uniquely got at. Um, all mm. of us should be feeling the challenge of this personally. But Jesus is saying all of us are messed up in right. our sexuality, um, which means that what we are looking for, what we are looking to do is not actually going to be in our best interest. We, we need God to show us how best to love the, the people that he's put in our lives. Um, so, you know, we're told in, in 1 John that God is love. And that doesn't mean everything I think is love God approves of. It means God knows way more about love than I do. And therefore, I'm going to need his help to know what it should mean and look like to love other people in my life. Um, and the fact is, if, if I simply try to love people according to my own desires, my own limited wisdom, actually, it will be harmful because it is only God who shows us how to love people well, how to love people truly. Um, if, if we all just make it up according to our own desires, we will get things profoundly wrong. And, and anything that goes against how God has designed us to live is harmful. It may not be immediately observably harmful but there are lots of ways in which sin shows us its harm sometimes over a very long period of time and in very very subtle ways we are not the best judges of what is and what is not harmful sam i saw a meme the other day that convicted me uh, brought tears to me and next time i preach i'm probably going to use it you know i'd give the person credit if i knew who it was mm -hmm. you know it was a it was a picture that was supposed to depict adam um adam and eve you know but it was highlighting adam and it said adam had no idea at the time of what doing a seemingly small act that's against the will of god would have on all humanity you know, and that convicted me because I'm thinking if I'm Adam at that time, however many thousands of years ago, I might think, OK, yeah, I know what God said. But, you know, man, I, 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 I want to eat this forbidden fruit. I mean, why not? I mean, I do that now when I when I sin nowadays, it's like, ah, oh, man, I, I know I shouldn't. But let me go ahead and do it. And it's like at the time he had no idea how profound mm a residual effect that act would have had yeah. no idea. Right. And it just goes back to the wisdom of God and us trusting God, us trusting his will. Man, I mean, I, I can't say it better than you that we aren't the best judges of what is ultimately good and what ultimately isn't because God has saved me from myself a bunch of times. Go ahead. It, it's the, the same lie of, of the evil one the whole way through it. You know, when, when we're being tempted to sin, sin always feels like it's, it's harmless, it's trivial. Mm. You know, it won't make any difference. It's, it's, it's fine. And it's, it's only when we're on the other side of that sin, we begin to see the true dimensions of it and the, the true consequences of it. And that is just always the case. So, mm. The fact that our, our culture trivializes certain sexual sins and kind of laughs at them and mm. even to the extent will we'll mock Christians who, who take those sins seriously shouldn't give us any kind of reassurance. Um, mm. to, to Adam and Eve, turning against God was the, was the culturally acceptable thing to do within the culture of the two of them in Genesis 3. Um so we, we, we've got to take what people around us, what our culture thinks with a, with a serious amount of salt. Yeah. Maybe yeah. And, light. 
<laughs> Amen. And, and you know, and and I would also highlight that at the end of the day, you know, it is trust in Jesus because you know Jesus, although he is God, you know, he did, you know, become flesh and he was tempted, yet he didn't sin. And you got to think about it. I mean, just from I'm now just talking about me. I ain't talking about you or nobody else. Just me and my past life. I had a lot of fights. Right. Had a lot of fights back in the day when I was game banging and all that good stuff. And if somebody were to say something crazy to me right now, I would think, man, I'm sparing you by acting in the spirit right now, by not doing something that I know I could do because I know I could hurt you. Right. And I would think I'm doing such a big, holy act. But you got to think Jesus is God. And he's being it's people acting up, acting crazy all around him, ridiculing him, mocking him like all of this. And and he's God, <laughs> you know, and, and, and he's got he didn't uh, abuse, you know, his his power, his, his gifts. So I just use that to say that we aren't serving a God who doesn't know what it's like to be tempted in a way that's. 10 trillion times worse than however you and I might be tempted. You know, yeah. we serve a God who already understands because he's God still lived through the experience. Why? Not because he needed to, but because he loves me and you that much. Cause he yeah. knows that me and you are going to be, um, backsliding in our temptations. And there is a wrath. There is a penalty that we owe. And, and he chose to pay that for us. Each of yeah. us, those who were, Attracted to the opposite sex, the same sex, those who are drunk, those who are adulterers, those who uh, do drugs and ecstasy, those who are greedy, those who are all of the above. <laughs> you know? Yeah, there's, there's, there's no one who better understands the true dimension of sin than Jesus. Uh, we, you know, even when we're convicted of sin, we, I don't think we fully appreciate the extent of it. Um and the fact that, that Jesus had to, you know, had to bear that curse in his flesh for our sakes. When we, when we look at the cross, we begin to think, okay, sin really does matter. Um, and that's certainly something I, I remember feeling very conscious of, even at the beginning of my Christian life, was that sin was something Jesus had died for. And therefore, whatever area of life we were talking about, whatever kind of sin we were talking about, it's it's no small thing. And that was certainly, I remember thinking that about my own sexual attractions, that actually these are sinful desires that Jesus had to go to the cross for. Um, I, I mustn't trivialize them. I mustn't negotiate with them. Um, oh, my God. If it sent Jesus to the cross, then I can't play around with this stuff. Um, I, I sadly, I still do because I'm an idiot. Um, I, I still do sin, but you know, if we truly appreciate what Jesus was doing for us on the cross, it would give us such a, a more sober view of sin. Uh, it would be far less appealing to us. Man, that was a convicting word right there, Pastor. Man. Well, it's convicting to me. I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to myself. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. Amen. Amen. So, why do you think? Why, why do you think that some people would ask the question if God is anti-gay? You know, to the point where you would write a book on it. You have articles on it, several interviews on it, and you know, and and, and that's a common question. You know, when people are having these questions about sexuality. Why do you think that question comes up? I think there are, there are various reasons it comes up. It, it may come up because someone has seen enough of the Bible to know that the Bible does not condone same-sex behavior, that it actually um, speaks against same-sex behavior. So someone may be asking because of that and thinking, is this something God is especially against? Um, they may be asking because there have been times, I think, when the church has been disproportionate in its condemnation of certain sins over other sins. So it can sometimes look as if Christians have a particular hang up over this topic. So someone may be asking for that reason. 
Um, someone may be asking in despair if, it, if it's a sin into which they have fallen. They may be thinking, is, it, is there any hope for me? Or does this, does this sin mean that I'm now beyond the reach of God's grace and God's love? Um, or it may be asked in, in hostility. It may be someone who is, is, you know, it's June now, it's Pride Month. It may be someone who is, is proud of their sexual identity, proud of their gayness, and is saying, you know, how, why should God be against me? So it, it can come from so many different angles, which is why we need to, if we get a question like that, we, we need to find out why it's being asked, because that can really help us, I think, learn how best to answer it. And whatever the, the, the rationale is behind the question, part of what I want to show people in the answer is, you know, if there's, if there's no hope for gay people, there's no hope for anyone. Um, if, if that sin is too much, then none of us can really have assurance um, because because all of us are sinners in different ways, but we're all sinners to a serious enough extent that all of us need need grace and all of us need forgiveness. And if if God regards homosexuality as being unforgivable, I think every sexual sinner needs to be very worried mm. um, because because again we're, we're all deeply broken in this area of life so again i want to show the gospel leveling the playing field um no there is no sin or blasphemy that is unforgivable jesus says apart from blasphemy against the holy spirit which means there is no sexual sin that is unforgivable um and you know there, there may be there may be someone watching this listening to this who is deeply worried that they have out sinned god's capacity to love all of us can, i think all of us can feel that way at times that you know we, yes we, sir our sin is is i can see how god can forgive everybody else their sin their, their sin seems lesser than mine <laughs> and so we need to keep all of us reminding ourselves, reminding one another that where sin abounds, grace superabounds. Um, in the in the line of that lovely hymn, my, my sins they are many, but His mercy is more. Um, so whatever kind of of sexual sin we've got ourselves into, however far we've gone with it, there is there is grace and forgiveness. There is restoration. There is hope. There is healing that is available for us in jesus and if god forgive any of us then he can forgive all of us uh, no no one is 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 beyond the scope of of the love of christ sam i'm telling you if this interview don't help nobody but me you it, it's helped somebody trust me <laughs> trust me i I'm over here, you know I, i'm over here teary eyed and 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 it's nothing to be ashamed of because I'm honored that the Holy Spirit, you know, would think enough of me, right, to 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 speak to me, you know, through a book, through an interview, a conversation with you. And that's how we should feel. Right. You know, yeah. that's how we should feel, you know, us, you know, being adopted into the family and body of Christ. It's like, wow, the one true God, this triune God who created everything out of nothing is don't got to think about little old me yeah. but he does but he does it's amazing i love i love when paul in first timothy describes himself as the worst of all sinners yeah and you know i, I don't think paul had done a, a survey of the entire <laughs> world to find out who the worst sinner was and it turns out it was him i think paul is just showing when you when you really know your own heart it's very hard to believe that there's anyone else out there who is more messed up than you are. Right. So it, it should always land on us with kind of fresh bizarreness each morning that actually God has forgiven me. How crazy is that? Wow. But that's, right. That's the kind of God he is. Wow. So I, I, I want to get to sexual uh being sexually fulfilled, sexually unfulfilled. But before we ultimately get 
um, on that point specifically, I want to talk a little bit about celibacy. So if someone's listening to this and they are same sex attracted, but, you know, but they know Christ or they've been growing in their walk with Christ and they're getting to know Christ, they may be thinking to themselves, well, is celibacy going to be the only option that I have for the rest of my life? That's not fair. You know, uh, it, you know, what, what are your thoughts when you, I'm sorry, what are your thoughts when you hear a question like that yeah. or a thought like that? Yeah, it's it's a very understandable question, and there's there's a there's a fear behind it. Uh, there's a fear that you know, long term singleness may be isolating. It might be painful, um, and I think that's often where the question comes from. So I'd I'd want to say a couple of things. I'd I'd want to say firstly that singleness in the Bible is. Contrary to how we often think about it in our culture and even in the church, singleness in the Bible is spoken of in some surprisingly positive ways. Um, yeah. So if, if it, you know, and this is not unique to people who are same-sex attracted, if, if for any of us we find that we are single long-term, that singleness is an expression, excuse me, of, of God's goodness to us. Um both marriage and singleness are gifts in First Corinthians 7, verse 7. And so either way, we get to experience the goodness of God. Some of us will get to experience it through marriage. Some of us will get to experience it through, through long-term singleness. Um, it's not that one is intrinsically better than the other. Each has its own opportunities and challenges. The other thing I'd, I'd want to say is that it is not necessarily the case that someone who understands themselves to be same-sex attracted is only going to have a life of long-term celibacy um god god is god um he can do anything and i know some people whose desires have changed not many to be fair but i do know some i also know quite a few people who although they've still remained basically attracted to people of the same sex they've still met someone who has turned out to be the exception to the rule and, and been able to have happy and healthy marriages. Um, a dear friend of mine, Sean, often shares his story of, of still saying he would be predominantly attracted to men, uh, isn't generally attracted to women, but, but was attracted to Gabby. And the two of them became deep friends, eventually dated, married, um, and I remember Sean saying, I didn't need to be attracted to women. I just needed to be attracted to Gabby. Wow. So, you know, we, we don't know what the Lord has for us. Just as being attracted to the other sex doesn't mean marriage is inevitable. I don't think being attracted to the same sex means marriage is completely off the table. We'll, we'll see what God has for us. But either way... Yeah. It'll be good. Yeah, that's that, that. That's a good point, you know. And I also like to add, you know, to that that marriage, just like how in your singleness, it might it's really hard to live a life that's pleasing to the Lord. You know, it's to it's gonna be hard to do that as a married man or woman too. You know, marriage exposes what hasn't been healed in our singleness. So if it's same sex attraction, if it's uh, uh, random and spontaneous fornication, if it's uh, being messy or being inconsiderate, like I didn't realize I was inconsiderate. I keep drinking all of the lemonade. I didn't even think about it. Like I didn't even think about it until you got mad at me. Like it, it exposes what hasn't been healed in our singleness. And if you're committed to to living a holy life, committed to trying to live a holy life, and it's challenging as a single person, it's going to be challenging as a married person. I am married, I am married, and I'm grateful for it, but I'll be the first to tell you that marriage is extremely hard, and it's not hard because my wife gets on my nerves. It's hard, it's hard because I... <laughs> I need Jesus <laughs> and I want to live right, you know? So you go back to that same um, scripture from Paul or even when he says what I want to do, right in his present and uh, yeah. what I do, what I don't want to do, I do what I, 
do want to do. I don't do all of these scriptures. I, I feel irrelevant in my life. So when I say marriage is hard, it's not because my wife is the most irritating woman in the world because she's not. But just like how Paul was like, I'm the chief of sinners. Sometimes I feel like that. And because I feel like that, I'm like, this is hard because I want to do right. I want to treat my wife the way that Christ, I want to love my wife the way that Christ loves the church. And if you think about that, particularly to the husbands out there who might be listening or potential husbands out there, you know, when the Bible says husbands love your wife the way Christ loves the church, that means even when she don't deserve it, even when you know she don't deserve it, you you 100% right. Like it's not a, okay, well, let's balance it. Maybe she's right. No, let's say she's 100% wrong. Love her. Why? Because Jesus loves us. Man, Sam, you got me preaching, but. <laughs> I love it. And, you know, and therefore if, if someone thinks, marriage is going to fix all that the all the problems they've ever had as a single person you know that that's something we need to be very careful of it, it's marriage and singleness have their own ups and downs and the danger is if you're single you compare the the ups of marriage with the downs of singleness and you you forget there are ups of singleness and there are downs of marriage and it can happen the other way around as well uh, we always think the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. Um, right. So you're right. And and Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 7, I think verse 28, that those who are married will, will experience certain certain trials or certain worldly troubles, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, which I, you know, I, I doubt Paul would put that in his anniversary card, you know, <laughs> another year of worldly troubles that you've given me. But, um, but I love the realism of that, you know. Uh, the same way you can talk about Christ and the church in such exalted, lofty language still says, you know, you can have certain worldly troubles if you get married. Uh, yeah. there's, a healthy, there's a healthy realism to that. Because uh, as you say, you're, you're bringing your mess into the marriage right. and, and right. the other person is bringing their mess as well. And mm -hmm. it, it, can be, it can be sin squared. <laughs> <laughs> right. It can be grace multiplied as well. Same. Yeah. You know, I would like to hear you expound a little bit on on uh, an amazing point that you made about sexual fulfillment before, you know, because sometimes the question will be, you know, in a conversation like this, a person might ask or think, OK, well, if I'm living a life that is sexually unfulfilled, you know, is that fair? Am I not living um, the my best life, as people are saying nowadays, you know, the best that the human life has to offer, you know, but that's problematic for a couple of reasons. One is that if you are sexually fulfilled, it's like you're saying that you have ex experienced the best in life. And sex is not the, it's not, you know, the, the Lord is. And man, that, can, can you just expound on that and anything else that you think of when you think of sexual fulfillment and unfulfillment? Yeah. Well, the, I think the most important point is, is simply to look at the life of Jesus because he was the most fully human and complete person who ever lived. And he wasn't married. He was never right. involved and he never had sex. So the moment you say any of those things are, fundamental for being complete you are saying that jesus christ was incomplete in his humanity which gets you into very very dangerous territory very quickly so it, it's a it's a way of of seeing that some of the things our culture is pressing upon us are idols um, to say that you need to have sexually you know a, a sexually healthy sex life in order to be a healthy human being is actually to say something negative about the humanity of Jesus. Mm. So for those wow. questions, that should be a very, I think a very clear litmus test. Um, wow. If, if the logical conclusion of something we're believing is that Jesus Christ was subhuman, <laughs> right. that, that's not a good trajectory to be going on. Um, actually, and it's really serious. John says in, in first John, it's the spirit of Antichrist to deny that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. So when I hear people who claim to be evangelicals saying that, you know, a life without romantic hope is, is a diminished, shriveled, 
form of life. I think they are blaspheming the humanity of Jesus. Mm. But here's the other thing. Um, all our romantic longings and desires are, me are, are meant to be a sign to us that there is a much deeper longing, a much deeper desire, a much Ooh. more profound union, a more ultimate consummation that all of us have been designed for. And we, we you know, one of the things I, I love looking at the Gospels is Jesus doesn't just call himself a savior. He doesn't just call himself the redeemer or the Christ or the son of God. He calls himself the bridegroom. Yeah, the bridegroom. Yeah. And so he has come so that in him we can have the ultimate marriage marriage mm. with a capital m and when we when we see more of what that is about we begin to realize that all earthly marriages even the very best ones are but a, a small picture of the ultimate marriage that is available in christ mm. and therefore if, I, if we have that who cares if I feel sexually fulfilled in this life? I mean, mm. really, it doesn't matter. Um, who, who cares if, if, if your marriage is everything you dreamed it would be or not? No, no, no marriage is going to be perfect. But we know we have what all of that is pointing to in Christ. And so it would be the most profound devastating idiocy to reject that which is the ultimate fulfillment of all of our yearnings to reject that for a much lesser kind of fulfillment mm. gratification you know that that makes me even think about idols sam you know because oftentimes when you know when we read the old testament or e even the new testament or we think of the word idols immediately we might think of a statue you know we might think of a you know a tree or or uh, a building or something like that and yeah those things can be idols too if we're using that to worship something uh if we're worshiping a false god or we're worshiping something you know that we're putting before god but guess what it doesn't have to be that it could be our sexual desires it could be marriage it could even be our children you know it it could be anything that i am putting you know my faith and my hope into this thing this is the ultimate fulfillment to me not Jesus, you know, not not God, not 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 God, not the triune God who who created um, who, who created existence and and God, the father, since his only begotten son to die for my sins. That that's not ultimate fulfillment dealing with God for all eternity. All eternity is acting on same sex attraction. All, uh, the greatest fulfillment is having this threesome or having an orgy, you know, um, you know, like I'm in a, you know you know, in a strip club or something. Ultimate fulfillment is, is uh, getting super drunk and drinking gray goose all the time or whatever it is. When we think that that's ultimate fulfillment, you know, that is uh, biblical idolatry, you know? Mm -hmm. And when I hear you say that, that's something that I think of. You have anything you'd like to add to that or? Just that it's, it's always exchanging something greater for something lesser. Um, and again, it comes back to our view of sin. We, we think we always think sin's going to deliver more than it does. <laughs> it never actually delivers it. it. It only ever subtracts. And so whatever you choose instead of Christ will, will only ever rob you in the end. And, you know, we, we can make idols out of good things as well as evil things. And one of the dangers in our, our kind of culture today is is that we, we marry someone because we think that person will fulfill us. Mm. Um, and one of the things that, that saddens me and concerns me is, is, you know, if I'm at a Christian wedding, hearing the, the groom say of his bride, 
something a Christian should only ever say of Christ. Mm. That just rings the warning bell about the health of that marriage. Because um, mm. if, if you marry someone thinking that person is now going to fulfill all of your deepest needs and longings, and My God. you're going to be a nightmare to be married to. Um, I think we see something of that in John 4 with the woman at the well. She she'd had five husbands was it and was on on man number six and <laughs> she she needed living water that would quench her thirst mm -hmm. and so it wasn't going to be man number six but it, it was going to be man number seven my god um so he he is the only way we will have ultimate satisfaction Amen. I don't know what just happened with my lights here. As long as my whole system don't go down, you know, I don't know what that was about. I, <laughs> I thought the whole electricity went out, but we still good. I'll figure out what's going on with that later, you know, but, <laughs> um, but, you know, but before we move on, I mean, the truth of the matter is sin will take us further than we want to go and keep us longer than we want to stay, you know, and we aren't thinking about that at the moment when we go ahead and submit to it, but you know, yeah, as be a slave to Christ, you know, can, can you can, can you elaborate on, on this quote? Uh, Jesus doesn't put the word self in front of identity. Jesus puts the word self in front of denial. I thought that was so profound. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah. So, again, one of the one of the kind of lies of our culture is. That we. We are meant to be the agents of our own meaning, our own fulfillment, our own identity. And so self-identity is seen as being this sacrosanct, sacred responsibility of each individual to, to discover their own identity within. And, you know, you, you look at movies about these things and, and the message is always the same. No one else can tell you who you are. You have to figure that out yourself. Um, whether it's Moonlight or Frozen, whatever it is. Um, and the fact is that, you know, if we look deep with, excuse me, if we look deep within, we're not going to find the answer to our our longings and our angst, we're going to find the cause of it. Um, and so Jesus doesn't say that the most important thing we can do with ourselves is to express it, mm. but to deny it. And actually, here's the, here's the wonderful glory of that, is if we deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow Jesus, we will actually, we will become the person God always had in mind for us to be. As you deny self, you don't become less who you truly are. You actually become more the person God first thought up when he created you. Um, it, it, we don't become non per You know, if God, took, if God took the two of us and made us way, 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 way more like Jesus, I mean, wouldn't that be wonderful? <laughs> we, we would become more like Jesus without becoming more like each other. Wow. Uh, we would still have our own unique personality, individual individuality, but it would be brighter and more glorious for our having been made more like Jesus than it would be if we were trying to come up with our own self-identity. I don't have to pull that off. I just know that he does. Right. And it's, you know, it's as we lose life for Christ that we gain life, um, which is hard because it, you know, the very language Jesus is using there indicates it, it's, it's going to feel like he's killing us at certain times, like he's taking life from us. But actually what he's right. doing is giving life to us. Um, so as, as someone in Christ, I can never be more true to, to who I most fundamentally am than when I'm pursuing holiness. 
Wow. And I need to tell myself that every day because every day it feels as though holiness just goes against the grain of who I am, whereas sin feels like totally, you know, that's who I really am. Right, right. And so we we have to kind of just keep preaching the gospel to ourselves and say, no, actually, my deepest nature now is to be like Jesus. Mm. That, That is my true identity. So it's an identity we, we receive in Christ. It's not one that we, we cook up ourselves right. or desperately try and rummage around inside our hearts to find. Um, so, yes, self-denial, not self-identity. Those are not just, you know, two paths with, with a very slight difference. Those are opposite gospels uh one will lead you straight to hell and the other actually will be the way to true life you know i don't want to uh keep you too much longer but i like i like to talk specifically about singleness a little bit before i let you go mm-hmm. you know and this might i mean it's relevant to the conversation obviously because we're talking about sexuality but it's also people who are like you said you know attracted to the opposite sex you know and you know and they're single you know and they may be scared or they may uh observe their life and think i might be single you know uh what are you know, what, what are some things about singleness that us as believers, you know, that we should think about when we do think about singleness? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think probably the most significant thing we tend to get wrong about singleness is we assume singleness must mean zero intimacy and maximum isolation. Hmm. And again, I think intimacy is one of the things we've we've profoundly misunderstood in our generation. Um, You know, the the Bible shows us you can have a lot of sex without experiencing intimacy. Um, I think we see that in the life of David. I think we see that in in the life of Solomon. I think we see that in lots of lives today. Um, Hmm. You can have a lot of sex and no intimacy. And the flip, the, the reverse is true. You, you can also have a lot of intimacy that is nothing to do with sex. Because intimacy is actually the experience of being deeply known and deeply loved. Mm. So one of my favorite verses in the Bible is, is John 15, 15, where Jesus says to his disciples, and man, you, you it's one of those verses you, you just would not believe if it wasn't in the Bible. We would never come up with it. But Jesus says to his disciples, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. He says, instead, I've called you friends. And then he gives us the reason why. So this is Jesus showing us what he believes friendship to be defined by. So he says, I've called you friends for... All that the Father has revealed to me, I have made known to you. So what is friendship? According to Jesus, the essence of friendship is disclosure. You let someone in on what's really going on. That is friendship. That is intimacy. And there is an appalling deficit of that in our, our culture today and, and often sadly in our churches today where we've again we've we've gone further with our culture than we realized and we've, we've kind of put all of our intimacy eggs in the basket of of romantic partnership and marriage which means we've we've neglected to to foster deep friendship um so the way i often think of it is this that there, there is a There's a depth of intimacy that a married friend will experience that I don't get to experience. That that depth of intimacy of of doing all of your life with one other person. I'm not going to experience that. But as a single person, there can be a breadth of intimacy Hmm. that I can experience that my married friend might not be able to. Um, I've, I've got a capacity for a range of close friendships that I wouldn't have if I was married. So it's not that one is 
is more intimacy than the other. It's different types of intimacy. And I've, mm. I have found one of the greatest pleasures of singleness is being able to have and to cultivate a range of very, very deep friendships. Mm. Um, that is That has just been such a profound joy and blessing to me. And I, I wouldn't have been able to do that if I was married. It wouldn't have been wise or appropriate. So how do you reconcile the gift of singleness with the scripture in Genesis, you know, when God says it's not fit for a man to be uh, alone? Yeah. How, do you, how do you reconcile that? Yeah, I, I don't think they're in contradiction. Genesis 1 is true. It is not good for us to be alone, which is why, which is why in our, our churches we need to be again cultivating a sense of blended family hmm. so the single person within the household of the church family within the, the local church actually should not be alone um, they may be single they may live on their own they may not but the the, the bigger point in genesis one is we are not self-contained and self-sufficient uh, we, we are designed actually to be inadequate on our own um now marriage is the is the ultimate answer to that situation it's not the only one and actually our, our local churches need to be non-ignorable demonstrations of the fact that actually there is community and family and intimacy to be had in the people of god that you won't find anywhere else mm. Wow. I mean, that's that, that that's great stuff, man. Uh, you know, I'm super grateful for your time, Sam. Is it anything that's related to the topic of singleness, uh, marriage, uh, same sex attraction, anything that maybe I didn't ask about or that you didn't get a chance to say or maybe just something that we did say, but you kind of just want to highlight a little bit that might be helpful for people to think about? Well, thank you for I mean, asking such thoughtful questions. Um, the only thing I've not mentioned um, that I'd love your uh, listeners to know about is that um, I, I released a new book um, a couple of months ago called Why Does God Care Who I Sleep With, um, which is, is designed to be kind of an evangelistic book about the Christian sexual ethic. So a lot of the things we've been discussing today, I go into more detail in in that book so i hope that might be a resource that that some people will look up amen is it uh any other uh you know um any instagrams or anything like that that you want people to see um i'm on twitter that, that's the thing i tend to use more than anything else so if people want to come and find me there and say hi that would be great i think i'm on instagram <laughs> i just hardly ever use it um, but, um, but yeah Come and find me on Twitter. I think I'm at Sam Mulberry. So, um, yeah, I'd love that. Awesome. And I'll be sure to include, you know, uh, the book in, you know, in the description and everything. And just want to thank you so much for your time, Sam. You know, you have. And yeah, thank you so much, man. And um, I mean, you have an amazing ministry. You have an amazing testimony. You know, you speak from experience as well as biblical knowledge you know you use your experience in context not letting your experience be your bible it's just it's just brilliant work i just want to encourage you and celebrate you in that and well, uh it's been we, we all have a we all have a wonderful savior <laughs> amen yes we do and thank you for for your your hospitality having me on i hope um i hope our paths cross at some point be nice to meet you in the flesh one day yeah, that'll be awesome. That'll be awesome. And as I always close, so it's two things, you know, that that, that I close with. I like mm -hmm. to say this, you know, so if a person's listening to this, well, first of all, the way our conversation went, you know, I think it touched everybody's past from same sex attracted to opposite sex attracted to single to married. You know, it's a little bit of everything for everybody in this dialogue that we had. But there's two things I like to say as I close. One is you may or may not be reformed but we should all be informed. So let's be equipped, you know, and let's be equipped as we attempt to make disciples. And last but not least, I like to ask, is he a real one? Yes, he is. And the he that we talking about is Jesus, y'all. A-A-Amen.